and welcome back to another episode of Author Conversations brought to you once again by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. This week I will be speaking with author Ann Colby who has written Wicked St. Augustine, which will be available February 20th, 2017. When Pedro Menendez de Avila founded St. Augustine in 1565, his new world survival kit included gambling, liquor, and ladies for hire. For the next 400 years, these three industries were vital in keeping the city financially afloat. With the cooperation of law enforcement and politicians, St. Augustine's madams, bootleggers, and high rollers created a veritable Riviera where tourists, especially the wealthy, could indulge in almost every vice and still bring the family along for a wholesome vacation, picking oranges, and gawking at alligators. Anne's new book takes us on a tour of spots, not on the standard tourist map, to discover hidden and plain sight bordellos, speakeasies, casinos, and the occasional opium den. Ann Colby has been a Florida resident since 1960. She grew up in Orlando, attended the University of Florida, received her bachelor's degree in religion in 1973, and graduated from the University of Florida Law School in 1976. After serving as a local government counsel for 42 years in the central Florida area, she retired in 2016 with her husband, Bill McLeod, to St. Augustine, a city she visited many times over the course of her life in Florida. She now spends her time doing historical research on arcane topics, working for Central Florida Pug Rescue, acting as a tour guide for the many northern friends and relatives who visit her, and otherwise doing exactly as she pleases. And thanks for joining me. Sure. My uh, pleasure. St. Augustine's our country's oldest city, being that it's the oldest continually inhabited city of European descent in the country. But you didn't Correct. start the book there exactly. Uh, yeah, your Chapter one's entitled How It All Began. But first, you have a note in the book about Henry Flagler. Why was this important yes. to you? And why did you have well, it at the I, beginning? I, I had it in the, uh, in, in the book because Henry Flagler probably, if you had to pick one single person other than uh, Pedro Menendez that had an influence on the creation of St. Augustine as everyone knows it, uh, Henry Flagler would be right there at the top. Um, he basically remade the city in uh, in the um, uh, at the turn of the twentieth of the twentieth century at the beginning of the twentieth century. Uh, he basically remade the city from a small sleepy southern town into a major tourist destination. And and his influence still continues today in the city. And the reason I, I wanted everyone to know about him right away is because I was going to be referring to him continually, because he basically, thanks to Mr. Flagler, um, created the, uh, the, the golden age of vice in St. Augustine. When Mr. Flagler uh, renovated his hotels and brought the wealthy tourists, he also uh, made by those actions made sure that gambling, bootlegging, and uh, prostitution survived not only survived in St. Augustine but thrived to become major industries. Yeah, and he's just an interesting character too. If you know, if you know anything about you know American history, especially in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he, his connections with Rockefeller. Um, he was Rockefeller's oh, yeah. right hand man, and then you know not just with Saint Augustine, but with his with Flagler building the railroads, and in fact he helped to um, extend railroads down into Southern Florida too, and helped bring about the thriving you know, citrus industry in Florida also. 
Oh, yes. I, I mean, he's probably as prominent uh, in Palm Beach and in Key West as he is in St. Augustine because of his bringing the railroads down there and, of course, building major resorts, which is what he did every time uh, he he brought the railroad through, he would build a resort. So he's he's quite known in Florida for, you know, being a major player, I mean, as well as in the uh, other parts of the United States. Um I also, it, it's kind of interesting, uh, the book uh, kind of portrays Mr. Flagler as, as what he was. He, he was a, uh, um, a, he built churches, he uh, contributed to charitable organizations, he was a, a well-known teetotaler. So uh, on the face of it, he was not a man of vice. But boy, I tell you, once you get into uh, the rumors in the community, which which I did not publish because they were rumors only, and I couldn't find any corroborating facts. Mr. Flagler was was not; <laughs> he was a man of vice, most definitely. Oh yeah. Well, it's also I mean, if because I'm a big student of colonial history, I uh, really like you know, colonial America and the revolutionary time period. And Flagler kind of reminds me in a way, and I know it might rub some people the wrong way, but you know, if you go for what you said about how he donated to a lot of different areas in the communities and throughout the state, it's the same thing that Benjamin Franklin would do with different, even religions in Philadelphia and different, you know, helping found different libraries, but also he kind of had a vice side too. So he kind of reminds oh, yeah. me of Franklin in that way. Um, the way he, he definitely was. He, he his public persona was a man of the community and a man of religion, and certainly a a, 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 a an upstanding figure. But behind the scenes, Mister Flagler was not a particularly nice man, and no, no. Was certainly addicted to certain forms of vice. Yeah. And to get a hint of that, all you have to do is look at his marriage history. Yeah, and I wasn't saying that Flagler was as great as Franklin by any means. I was just saying he knew how to play the PR the same way that Franklin uh, knew how oh, to he do did. that. He was, he was a master and, and full I, at it as well. He, he was a master businessman. And uh, and I think in his own way was was certainly as great, you know, by American terms, he could be defined as a great man. But he had his foibles like everyone else. Oh, yeah. We just don't publicize. We just don't publicize those very much. And and that's kind of gets to the root of the book. Uh, uh, you know, if you go to St. Augustine today uh, or if you look in, in the bookshops, you're not going to find any books that deal with the, uh, the senior side of this city. Uh, it was created by Flagler to be a family resort, to be a, a kind of a, a, a paragon of of family values as far as the resort and as far as the tourist business is concerned. And that's certainly what you're going to see in St. Augustine. You see, this is the place to bring your children to see uh, everything from the wonderful beaches and the uh, wildlife um, uh, exhibits to and historical, historical and education exhibits. That's what you're going to see in St. Augustine. But for for over 400 years, St. Augustine had another side that nobody seems to know about or talk about. I was surprised when I first started looking into uh, the, the topics for the book that not even the local historians had any idea 
that we were as uh, that St. Augustine has had such an extensive history of vice. Yeah, and it did. It was it was famous <laughs> for its vice. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. So, you know, sure. so the Spanish, you know, well, starting with, you know, Christopher Columbus coming over thinking he had found a trade route possibly to the West, you know, to the West Indies and or, you know, there's actually some conjecture now that maybe he knew he hadn't, but um but so the Spanish, you know, start coming over more and they're, you know, trying, you know, they discovered, you know, they're, you know, there's gold, you know, in, in Central America also. So St. Augustine, uh, what role is it playing in the Spanish Empire? Why is it founded where it is, where it is now? St. Augustine was basically founded where it is as a military uh, uh, port. Uh, it, 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 the Spanish king definitely did not want the French king getting a, a hold on, uh, the, on the territory on Florida. And as soon as the uh, Spanish found out that the French were attempting to establish a permanent fort, and that was at Fort Caroline in Jacksonville, they immediately uh, decided that we that the Spanish needed to have a permanent foothold in in Florida colony. So they sent Menendez over with his colonists and St. Augustine, which happened to be a good fort and easily defensible. Uh, it was chosen, and that's where they landed, and that's where they stayed. Uh, Menendez, of course, then slaughtered the French, uh, who were trying to establish a Fort Caroline. He uh, uh, slaughtered them at Matanzas, and uh, that was the end of Fort Caroline, or basically the end of the French uh, foothold in the area. So it was a military. It was a military fort, and and then of course it became a seaport and uh, a thriving colony. And how soon into the city's history did some of this wickedness that you uh, talk about in the book begin to show up? Uh, well, in the the city was officially founded in September of fifteen sixty five. The first mention we have in official records of prostitution is in April of 1566. So consequently, we know that Menendez probably brought them with him, uh, which which only seems fair and it seems reasonable considering that he had over 800 sailors and soldiers with him and only 24 women. And those 24 women happened to be wives of uh, various um, uh, tradesmen that he and 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 specialized craftsmen that he brought with him. So not having any women around 800 uh, sailors and soldiers probably was not a good idea. So he mm. probably brought prostitutes with him, and of course drinking. Uh, well, uh, he brought with him a master brewer uh, to uh, brew both hard liquors and uh, uh, beer, grog, uh, and probably wine. Uh, they had to have that because the water was not considered either good or safe to mm-hmm. drink. So, of course, they had a brewer. And as far as gambling, well, there's pictures, uh, engravings that date back to the 1500s that show the Spanish soldiers engaged in gambling activities. So that I would say the, the, uh, the activities began in September of 1565, probably the day they landed. Wow. So, so from the beginning— and let's move forward a bit into more modern times. Um, but okay. it's crazy when you say more modern times, but it's, uh, you know, because I, when I think about 20 years ago, I 
think about 1990, not 2000, but now that is 20 years ago now, as we speak, um, there are chapters where you talk about the world's oldest profession and you have a whole chapter devoted to it. I'm doing air quotes right now. I know you can't see me and the audience can't with my fingers where you have, uh, where you're devoted to landladies, which is fascinating. Yes. Um, can you give us a bit of an overview of how, uh, landladies such as Blanche Travis or, uh, Margaret Margaret Norris or Blanche Altavilla would run a business and how they would survive and maybe who it would be helpful to know. Well, let's say, uh, first of all, understand that St. Augustine had a long, by the time that Blanche and O.C. Martin and the other uh, major landladies, and when I say landladies, I mean uh, the, the madams of brothels, they referred to themselves as landladies. That's what they called themselves. Mm-hmm. So in deference to them, I will use that term. Um, Which I love that term, ladies, how they came up with that term for themselves. That's I like that. Well, I'm, you know, when you think that the uh, the the uh, sobriquet for a brothel in in most in many cities, including St. Augustine, was boarding house. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were running a boarding house, in many cases, you were actually running a brothel, mm-hmm. and so you referred to yourself as the landlady because you were operating a, a boarding house. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, in in a in an interesting way, but anyway, getting back to the to the topic here, the um, by the time that uh, Blanche and O.C. Martin and the other landladies were were active in St. Augustine, which really began with the Flagler era, um, St. Augustine had already had operating brothels for 400 years. I mean, we we were. We were well into uh, having organized prostitution, and in the book, I do discuss the reasons for uh, why organized prostitution flourished in St. Augustine, not only because it was a military town and a seaport and a tourist town, but because uh, this was the way that women were able to earn a living. Uh, it, the, the laws and the cust- social customs were 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 such that that women uh, who were alone, who were not married or who did not live at home with their parents, really didn't have a way of legally making a living. And so very often, in order to survive, they resorted to prostitution and found that in, in the, the atmosphere of St. Augustine, Gee, that was actually a way to make a good living. So they continued doing it, and and that's it. the economic reasons for prostitution. Uh, you know, have existed for centuries, but when Mr. Flagler came to town and brought really wealthy tourists with him, who had a lot of uh, disposable income to spread around, that is when brothels re- really hit their peak in St. Augustine. Here we had a a built-in clientele for uh, women who were, uh, you know, for rent, but who also had, they weren't just what we consider now to be streetwalkers. These were women who were polished in their manners. They were healthy. They were good-looking. They were actually recruited for their looks and their manners and their social uh, ability to to deal with the wealthy tourists. And the, the women who operated the brothels 
actually went out, sought these women, and created these formalized businesses that actually made a lot of money. Uh, Blanche Altavilla was one of the wealthiest women in St. Augustine, not only because of her operation of brothels, but because she also extended that um, her business interests to uh, uh, other activities that went along with operating the brothels, like uh, moonshining. She created, she ran her own stills. She sold, sold her own liquor. She operated taverns. She operated gambling houses and pool halls, all of which catered to the entertainment, the male entertainment that uh, Mr. Flagler provided the clientele for. So she made a lot of money. And then, of course, after she made a lot of money doing illegal activities, she then invested her money in property, and she ended up owning a great deal of St. Augustine, or at least uh, controlling it through mortgages. Well, it's just the way she was able to just – it feels like she just was, she was able to reinvent herself, I feel like, in so many different ways. She wasn't – she wasn't content to be a madam. She wanted to be no, a businesswoman. Absolutely, and I think most of the of the madams, the the landladies, were uh, were just like that. They had business interests. They had many business interests, and if they had had not, they wouldn't have become as successful as they were. Um, of course, not not every woman who operated a brothel, not every woman who uh, who had uh, earned a living as a prostitute were, was that successful, as successful as Blanche Altavilla. But uh, I, I do find it interesting that you don't find a mention of her in, anywhere in St. Augustine history. Uh, there's there's hundreds of books written on St. Augustine history, but not a word about Blanche Altavilla. And yet she was an incredibly successful woman in many, many areas of St. Augustine's economy. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I found that interesting and sadly disappointing uh, that uh, they don't give as much credence to the women business owners as they should, I think. Uh, you know, Anna, it's really interesting that you say that because there's more than a, in more than a few of our books, and I've read quite a number of them. When you bring up local landladies or madams that are mentioned in the books, you have them compared to somebody, say, for, you know, a lot of them compared them to the character of Belle Watley in Gone with the Wind, who donated a lot of money mm-hmm. to charities and things of that nature. And some of them even, you know, will try to say that the local legend says that that's who the character from Gone with the Wind would be based on. Um, of course, they say it's local legend, too. But this is the case in a lot of different places, whether it be from Georgetown County or Atlanta itself or a place in Alabama. Um, so this, you know, would be the case throughout the, you know, or even in New Orleans, there would be madams that would have a heart yep. and look out through their community, but also they would be shunned by the community, uh, the madams and the girls well, that work for them. Of course. And, and, and I think, it, you know, you're shunned by the community because it has to maintain a moral face. I mean, that was true in St. Augustine, of course. I mean, there were certainly periods of time and usually around elections, I I noticed, where Mm -hmm. there would be uh, both the preachers and the politicians would stand up and say how, you know, we've got to keep this clean town, particularly for our tourists. But yet, you know, okay, we've we've said that and we've done that, but yet their actions speak a lot louder. (laughs) 
in the fact that they, well, particularly the politicians, they were hand in glove with the bootleggers, the gamblers, and the, the landladies in making sure that the businesses kept were kept up and running and prospered. And, I, you know, I go into quite a bit about the, uh, of the cooperation between law enforcement and the, the vice industries in St. Augustine. There was much cooperation. They, they worked hand in glove. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue because that's kind of what we get into next with the temperance movement and when prohibition comes into play. Um, you know, what was that? How did, how did that go into effect with uh, in St. Augustine? As far as, you know, getting a drink in St. Augustine during Prohibition and when temperance was in full force. <laughs> well, what Surely I no law enforcement that... officials are paid to look the other way. <laughs> oh, of course not. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, what I found in St. Augustine was that in, in all the periods of time in which it was illegal to possess or, uh, or drink alcohol, St. Augustine never went without a drink. Never. Uh, not not during its own imposed uh, two-year period of of, uh, of prohibition or during the federal uh, prohibition. Uh, there was always alcohol produced in St. Augustine. There was always alcohol consumed in St. Augustine. On the face of it, oh, yes, we are a dry county. Uh, yes, we uh, certainly adhere to prohibition. We have our rallies for temperance. But gosh darn it, you can go anywhere and get a drink. Legal, uh, you know, you illegally, of course, but you can always get a drink in St. Mm-hmm. Augustine. And for that matter, they produced huge amounts of liquor and yeah. pretty good liquor. And when they weren't producing it, they were the, the the local fishermen and boat owners were running it into the either the harbor or down the San Sebastian River and selling it, of course, to uh, the law enforcement and politicians and and wealthy tourists. We still do that, by the way, illegally, of course, but we still do that. <laughs> I like that. Legally, of course. You had to add that extra in. Of course. So you have to. You know, that's the difference. Uh, it, we, uh, there, there was illegally produced alcohol in St. Augustine in huge quantities up, until the, up into the 1950s. Now, by the time you got to 1960s, uh, it was it was more cost efficient to simply get the li- the license that allowed you mm-hmm. for, to produce the alcohol and sell it. So then they went to legal production, and now we I mean it's a it's a major industry in town. I mean some of our biggest tourist attractions are distilleries and wineries, <laughs> all legally producing right on site the alcohol that uh, would have been illegal uh, 50 years ago. Yeah, it is a beautiful well, town. I would suggest seventy years ago. I haven't been down there since we the last time I was in St. Augustine. We, my wife and I, visited the day after um, we got married because uh, we were on our way oh. down to catch a cruise ship um, out of Cape Canaveral. And so I was like, I got to stop by St. Augustine again in our first official stop. And the place my wife actually first signed her new last name was at the Castillo de San Marcos. When we stopped by mm-hmm. this, that was our first, you know, official stop as a tourist, as a married couple was there. So it was, you know, it's a very special place to us um, in St. Augustine. So, you know, it was really interesting to me read this book and you have this whole, um, you know, chapter uh, dedicated to the different, you know, sectors um, in the book, which could mean different things. So if I, we were to come back down and to tour again, 
which establishments still exist that we could go see that would have been these brothels, gambling houses, and places um, that, of course, aren't these well, places anymore, but we could go see today. Well, the two chapters that, uh, that, that you refer to are basically a self-guided tour of uh, all of the places in St. Augustine where vices were took to, vices were celebrated and took place. You can see many of the homes uh, that were brothels at one time, and they're still right there. They're, they're still standing. Many of them are nice uh, private homes now, private residences. Uh, one, it, the, the Blanche Altabila's Country Club still exists. Uh, it's about two blocks away from where I live, um, and uh, it, it's still there. It, her house is still there. It's in good shape. It it was formerly, uh, I guess, in the 1950s after her death, it became a funeral home. Now it is being uh, the the building itself is being renovated and, and to and it's pretty much down to its original state. It's a it's a really nice building, and it's it's sits right there on West King Street. If you go around her her the the uh, little um, the three streets that comprised her country club, you can see all the the locations of where the brothels were on those streets. Uh, some of which are still standing, some of which are are just empty lots now. Um, uh, if good heavens, walk down St. George Street, you can see where the old uh, Lorillard Villa, which was a, a major gambling club, was. The Villa Zareda is still standing. If you want to take a tour of the Villa Zareda on on West King, I mean on um, on King Street, not West King Street, um, you can see. The, the pro the for example the menus that they carried in their club during uh, prohibition with their with their lengthy alcohol lists you know, the <laughs> wow. cocktails the wines the liqueurs that were offered to those to the patrons of the uh, club you can still see uh, the gambling impl- uh, equipment that they used at, at the Villa Zareda. it's it's all there <laughs> um, if you go to the Leitner Museum which is in the old alcohol Kazar Hotel, you can take a tour of the bachelor's quarters, which were the the rooms that were used for assignations with uh, various prostitutes. Uh, uh, you call up the madam, and or you you contact your bellboy. Your bellboy would contact the madam, and and to uh, the madam that carried the kind of girl that you wanted for the evening, and arrange it. And then she would be brought up to the fourth floor of the Alcazar Hotel, where you would have your your evening's entertainment. Uh, you can still take a tour of those rooms today. They are there, and they are intact with the same furniture that was used during the time. Uh, good heavens, you can't you can't really go anywhere in St. Augustine. You could stand in the middle of the Constitution Plaza and just point <laughs> and 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 see. Uh, Ten different places where either gambling or uh, sale of illegal liquor or prostitution took place because it was all over town. Well, and we've just barely we've, we've kind of given broad strokes to what the book's about because we want people to buy the book and actually read a lot of the stories mm-hmm. in the book. But I do want to touch on something else. Um, there are some pretty famous names of people who came down to visit St. Augustine. 
Um, can you give us a couple of the famous oh. names that saw the entertainment there and uh, which well, president was best known for enjoying entertainment in the oh, city? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, uh, Warren Harding was, was, well, he was pretty well known as a womanizer. I mean, he kept a mistress in the White House, for God's sake. Uh, but uh, he came, he was a visitor to St. Augustine for over 20 years. I mean, long before he became president. And uh, he liked golf, uh, and St. Augustine had year-round golf, so that was touted as being the reason he came down here. But uh, I, I like to think that Warren, who was not above visiting women uh, for rent and certainly not above gambling, uh, I, I like to think that he probably was just as attracted to the vice in St. Augustine as he was to the golfing. And another reason that I believe that is because Blanche Altavilla, who was, of course, operating the, the biggest brothels in town at that, at that time, um, was also from Marion, Ohio. And that was uh, Warren's hometown. And I, I like to think that he probably would have patronized the businesses owned by the hometown girl. Um, he was by no means the the, on, the only um, famous person to visit St. Augustine. Of course, we had all the wealthy financiers, uh, the Rockefellers, the um, uh, the Vanderbilts. Uh, they all came uh, during their winters uh, to St. Augustine because of the weather, warm weather, and of course the golfing and the yachting. And uh, I suspect they all participated in the same vices that uh, every other wealthy man was was participating in, the gambling. I mean, the Yacht Club was a major gambling uh, site for the wealthy. Um, there were uh, there was gambling and uh, and, of course, liquor anytime at the hotels that were built by Mr. Flagler. And uh, and of course, women were available anytime they wanted them. Uh, one of in one of the uh, trials that I counted of Blanche Altavilla, the uh, one of the witnesses testified that there was a parade of carriages coming down to her brothels day and night from King Street, uh, which means they were coming from the uh, Flagler hotels. And uh, that it caused great distress, distress to the neighbor because he, it, it, there was so much noise, all these people and all this music uh, the, and, and the sound of the carriage traffic day and night. And, you know, that didn't change because there are uh, – I, I was able to find um, um, uh, oral history tapes from the, that were recorded in the 1970s from um, men who uh, residents of St. Augustine who recalled the traffic that lined King Street, backing up all the way down to downtown, uh, trying to get in the precincts of Blanche's Country Club, and most of them were soldiers from Camp Blanding, which was in Clay, in Clay County, just up the road, and this was during the uh, World War II. So. We still, uh, our our ladies maintained their businesses uh, way up. Uh, the popularity didn't dim from the time of Flagler up until World War II. Wow. And uh, after World War II, of course, things started to change in St. Augustine. Yes. It, 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 not just in St. Jo- Augustine, I think all over. The, uh, the, the social, uh, social values changed. Uh, women were able to work. 
they weren't they weren't legally prohibited from holding jobs. Uh, well, it, 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 they were, <laughs> uh, and that probably still hasn't changed to, to, until today. It, but they were able to hold more and more jobs and and find work that was able to support them, able to support their families. That was not uh, in a vice industry. And that was a major change. Social values with regard to women's independence and the ability to engage in a sexual relationship without social disapproval uh, also changed. And, and, and I think for that reason, they, they, they no longer needed the organized business of brothels. So it, and when the landladies died, then the brothels just never operated again. And they kind of they didn't really end until the ladies died or retired or moved on. And um, and, and it was at that point that they ceased operating in St. Augustine. Now, we, we there are probably still prostitutes uh, here and there, but it's not an organized industry like it was. Right, so. Gambling also is not an organized industry like it was. Although it's it, although what we do have of gambling now is organized by the state of Florida, yeah. So you know, uh, and, and of course, uh, as far as alcohol production is concerned, now it's legal, and we have distil- we have moonshine distilleries that are operating here right in downtown St. Augustine, and you can visit them and taste the moonshine and take it home with you, legally. Yeah, although you got to watch those state laws if you take it across the state's um, boundaries. Oh. Well, you can still you can certainly take it uh, take it uh, out of the distillery here and drink it in the state of Florida, which is where we prefer you drink it anyway. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, Anne, thank you so much for talking to me today. Sure, I, I, I as you can tell, I really enjoy talking about vice, and uh, it, it has been a really interesting trip going through the records of St. Augustine, tracking down all of these interesting people and interesting activities. Thanks again to Anne, and thanks to you for listening. You can find Anne's book online at ArcadiaPublishing.com or at your local bookstore. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and give us a like. We are available across all the major listening platforms. If you have any subject suggestions for future episodes or feedback, you can email me at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. Again, I want to thank Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the theme song to the show. You can find them on Facebook under Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. We will talk again next week as we continue to explore our nation's intriguing history by speaking with the authors who document that history.